a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. and welcome to today's episode on the podcast. I am giddy with excitement. I've got lots of things to tell you and also super, super nervous and excited about today's podcast episode. One thing that has been amazing over the last week is when I announced our event on the 25th of September in London, where I'm bringing together a community of experts with a community of women, all of you, me and us together. And I want it to be like a celebration of everything we have achieved so far and all the amazing things we're yet to do. And really just to bring together the amazing experts that have supported me and our new organization over the last few years. And to assemble all of us, I want to give you all a big hug and meet you. And within 48 hours, I think we're at 75% sold out. And within the week, all of the tickets went. And it's amazing that so many of you thought it was a good idea and you wanted to come to mix and mingle. Now, I've got three special tickets left for anyone that wants to join my Empowered Menopause program starting in September. And for those of you, we've got extra special goodie bags. The goodie bags are amazing anyway. But for those people that want to join my Empowered Menopause program, and if you want to book within the next week, you get a free space to our event. And I'd love for you to come because I really want to meet you anyway. So you'll get a free space and an extra amazing goodie bag. And if that is you, then you'll need to email me Tell me that you've booked your place for September for the Empowered Menopause Programme and you've got a space for the event, which is super exciting. I always love to meet all of the women that join our programme anyway. So this is going to be an amazing opportunity. The ladies that were on last week's podcast are all members of our current Empowered Menopause After Cancer Programme. And really, I created the programme because there was nothing out there when I was pushed into surgically onset menopause. And initially I thought we can do, you know, a really good course within a few weeks. But what I've realized is navigating menopause after cancer is a process and it takes time. And so it's a 16 week online program with community. We meet over six Zoom meetings and you have access to an online platform with lots of information and education. Because we know so many people who navigate menopause after cancer can feel really unsupported, isolated and excluded from the greater menopause conversation and I want to change that and so the empowered menopause program is a step-by-step course to help you understand your options so that you can take control of your next steps and I'm saying step-by-step because most of the time when women come they feel totally overwhelmed lots of information out there lots of stuff you see on social media and yet we still don't really know what we can do next to try and perhaps alleviate some of our symptoms 
or to feel less alone. And so you might be in surgical menopause after cancer, you might be on tamoxifen, aromatase inhibitors, or other medication for ovarian suppression, or maybe you're still going through active treatment and you want to already equip yourself with what you can do after active treatment finished. You might think you might not have any options if you can't have HRT. I want to challenge that and really want to equip you with a toolbox that is full of stuff that you can do. Maybe you're just feeling unsupported, confused and alone and you need a sounding board and that's what we're going to be here for. And so I'd love for you to consider the Empowerment of Voice program. I put a link in the show notes anyway. But I don't want to talk too much about the program because I'm sitting here and I've only got a few minutes until I'm going to open a Zoom room. And a few days ago, I said, I'm opening my Zoom room and whoever wants to join me gets a possibility to come on to the Menopause and Cancer podcast with me. And so it is now, I've got a few minutes to go and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is anyone going to turn up? So I'm quite worried. I might be here on my own, in which case we won't have a good podcast this week. And then I've got to think about something (laughs) to talk to you instead. Or we might have loads of people turn up and they might be a bit random. And I really have no idea what people want to share with me and with us and you at home. And so I'm also a bit worried about how I'm going to navigate a conversation. All I know is that by having met so many of you over the last few years, I really truly believe all of you are amazing. Whatever you choose to do, whether you follow mainstream advice or whether you are that person that really wants to put together a different treatment plan, I'm in awe of each one and every single one of you because I think you're all amazing. And I've really learned to detach myself from judging what people do because What's right for you might not be right for me, but we can still listen and support one another, regardless of what we do. And so I'm really going to come back to these values and really think, okay, I'm just going to sit here open hearted and just see what happens. And so I'm just going to press pause for a moment so I can get my technology sorted. And I I guess all I can say is I'll see you on the other side with, with guests. Hello, good morning. Good morning, Anita. Hi, Kirsty. Hello, Tani. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? This is so super exciting. It's a bit like um, maybe Tinder or something for the menopausal cancer community. (laughs) I've chosen to just admit the first two people that came in because I don't want to make this super exhausting for people at home. And yeah, thank you for joining me this morning. You're welcome. Thank you for you. having me. So tell me, Anita, where are you zooming in from? Where in the country are you? I'm normally in Oslo in Norway. Uh, right now I'm in uh, Britain uh, on holiday. So, But normally I'm from Norway and in Oslo. Wow. And how have you found our community? Where? How did you tap into us? Uh, I found you, uh, first of all, at the podcast. Uh, and uh, then I followed you on Instagram and the Facebook group. Uh, so it was uh, the digital world. The digital world. Well, welcome. Yeah. It's thank amazing you so much. And thank you for all the great work you do. It's fantastic to meet. And Kirsty, where are you? In the country or abroad? I'm in Brighton. Very, very windy Brighton today. Um, yeah, and I found you. A mutual friend uh, told me about you. And then... I was diagnosed right when you started, pretty much. So 
So I I started listening to all your podcasts and, and, and found them really helpful. And then I followed you on Instagram, just like Anita. So yeah, I followed followed all your work closely, which which has been enormously helpful to me. Oh, it's amazing. And how fabulous we get to meet today, because I often sit here in this exact spot thinking, who is listening? Like, I had no idea Anita from Oslo would be listening. And I always think, don't ask the questions you want to know, Danny. Ask the questions you think your community wants to know. And so I think our conversations can go a, a longer way. Tell us a bit about you, Anita. What what happened to you? What was your cancer diagnosis? What happened? It's... Uh, uh... A long time ago, uh, it was in 2008, and I was uh, diagnosed with uh, breast cancer in my left uh, left breast mm. on my left side. Uh, and it was uh, I kept my breath, but I went to chemo and radiation, operation, tamoxifen for ten years, and had uh, without knowing it, I had all the symptoms of menopause. I also have the lymphedemia in my left arm. It was very difficult for me to know what it was. But then last fall, uh, I visited a, a doctor that helped me and I actually started uh, HRT and that helped me tremendously. But of course, it's a lot of uh, a lot of information, a lot of knowledge that I have. Uh, I had a, like a steep learning curve the last uh, year, I would say. And uh, but after uh, two weeks on HRT, my uh, hot flashes stopped. After three weeks, I slept the whole night, and after some uh, few weeks, I felt more like myself again. So I'm uh, mostly really, really happy that I started uh, with HRT. And of course, sometimes when I wake up three in the morning and you. I've heard some podcasts when they're saying that HRT is not good for you. It's like terrifying. Uh, but now I'm on this journey also to help Norwegian women to really know more about the menopause, the effect, how it affects you. And I changed my work to really work with this. I always work with the people and with bodies and uh, health and yoga and um, mindfulness. But it's so important that uh, all women will get more knowledge about this because I basically had like 13 years that could have been so much better if I my knowledge was better. So that's why and, the work you do is so important. And thank you for sharing that so openly, Anita, because every week I have women who say, I'm thinking of maybe going on HRT, but I've had breast cancer and there's this whole turmoil of uh, the guilt and the fear, but also feeling so poorly and many women say but I couldn't ever openly say it because I'm really worried that I will get almost bullied online and I have so many messages saying that and so I think it's brave because whenever we do something that is different and then we share it openly it's almost a bit of bravery comes with that and and for that I thank you today we'll get into more details in a moment but I think it's always brave to share when we're doing something that is a bit different isn't it um, Kirsty, where are you at? We've met on a Zoom because you decided to become an ambassador <laughs> for our new not-for-profit. And I didn't even ever think before you told me that you wanted to help spread the message that there is that I could maybe ask my community to help spread the word. So tell me a bit about you. So I 
was diagnosed last May, so May 2022. And then I had, so I had grade two uh, estrogen positive cancer diagnosis, left breast. So I had a lumpectomy to begin with. And then I had a really long wait after my uh, lumpectomy because, so I had a little bit of complexity because, so they found, they found cancer in, in my lymph nodes. So at that point they said that I, I'd need to have chemotherapy. Um, but then I met with the oncologist because I, I also have Crohn's disease. And in the past, in my Crohn's past, I had quite a bad reaction to a drug once. Um, and it was, and the oncologist said that the drug was quite, quite similar to chemo drugs. And I ended up in hospital with pancreatitis with that. So he, he said that he was reluctant for me to do chemotherapy. So then I had what's called the Oncotype test. Do you know that one? So they send it off to America. It's all bonkers, but they send it off to America and then you, you get a score back about how likely the recurrence is. And that score came back lowish. So that helped me to decide not to do chemotherapy. But it still, it still blows my mind that if I hadn't had Crohn's, then I would have done chemotherapy. So to me, that says that a lot of people are doing chemotherapy unnecessarily. So, yeah, I can't, I can't get my head around that because it's such a, you know, such a difficult thing to go through from everybody I've spoken to. Anyway, uh, so... So I didn't do chemotherapy. So I had quite a lot of radiotherapy, I think 25 sessions, 20 sessions maybe. So, but that didn't happen till December. So after, you know, a good six months after my operation. But anyway, I had the radiotherapy and then I'm now on tamoxifen and Zolodex and having quite a lot of menopausal symptoms particularly word finding, which might not be very good for a podcast, but word finding and memory is my, uh, my two biggest, uh, look, I can't get mad, um, my biggest <laughs> symptoms. So that's me, really. And that would be so good to hear for everyone else at home, because then we all or so many of us struggle with finding those words and it can be so embarrassing then especially when you put yourself out there and you come onto recording a podcast and you think, what if I'm going to forget what, what I was going to say? I think looking back at my own journey and diagnosis, there are so many things that I look back still thinking, should I have done things differently? What if I had been consulted differently? What if someone had explained differently? What if someone maybe even had gone through explaining statistics in a different way? Would I have made different choices? And I guess you have the same, isn't it, with the chemotherapy? It's we're looking back and then we meet more people and we compare our journeys and our treatment to that of others. And often things don't sit so well. And it's it's the added injury, isn't it? It's the added sort of insult to the injury. It's so not straightforward. Mm. And it's so not the same treatment applies to all women. And it's really difficult to then sit in the knowledge that it's okay how it is for us without that horrible self-doubt always and I guess Anita for you to decide to go on to HRT there must have been a 
I'm assuming, and please correct me if I'm wrong, there must have been a long time for you to prepare for that moment. I'm sure it wasn't just a, I'm just going to go on HRT. How did you, was there self-doubt when you made that decision? Was there sort of... Mm, Yeah, that's a really good question. And I know I felt like I prepared in all the 13 years I had had the symptoms. Uh, But uh, in a way, I didn't because I didn't knew. Uh, I didn't know. And I think that's the biggest insult because the the treatment in Norway uh, for breast cancer is really good. Uh, It's... it's, uh, top quality but no information about the the bioeffect you will get from the from the menopause nobody tells you and i'm working with a project these days when i'm interviewing a lot of women and even today they won't get no information and at the point when i was uh, told that this could be the menopause i was really on my knees and i was like giving me everything uh, and i i heard about that the estrogen i shouldn't have it and uh, in a way i'm i'm also surprised about myself because i normally seek out information and always uh, find like a second opinion uh, I did a lot on my own when I was under treatment, you know, my yoga, my mindfulness. I skipped some medication because I could do some, some other uh, alternative things, but I didn't know about it. So when I was uh, offered this uh, treatment and told about the Women's Health Initiative and the risk and everything, I was like, I'm going to try it. So I, from one day to the other, I just started. And how, explain to us when you say you were on your knees, what were your symptoms? Because they're so different for everyone, isn't it? We talk about brain fog, Kirsty. Some women have hot flushes. Others have never had a hot flush. For some, it's really mental. Then we've got a physical. What what, what was it for you when you describe you were on your knees? What was that like? Yeah, I think I can go through a long list. It was both uh, mental, uh, mental symptoms, cognitive and physical. Uh, so it was, I think the worst thing was, of course, the mental and the cognitive symptoms, because it really affected me in my work, not in the way that I was performing badly, but I was struggling and I really had low energy and I really doubted myself. My self-esteem was so low. Uh, and also, of course, the brain fog and forgetting thing. I need to keep my list. I always had to prepare really, really well. I need to have like my secret notes and everything. So that was one thing. And the physical part was, um, I think, everything. I had like hot flashes for 13 years, uh, really, really bad. Also, I had like, uh, the last year I had a lot of... Um, uh, chest infection, uh, uh, lung infection, and I didn't, uh, I didn't know that that could be because my my immune system was so low, but also because of my my dryness. And uh, this year, after I started with HRT, I, I, my cold is just a cold; it doesn't go uh, and and become something else. Uh, it was like gaining weight. It was even the plantar facet. Do you call it that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Long list. I, <laughs> I could go on and on. Uh, Thank so, you. Uh, it really affected me. Kirsty, listening to Anita, how it is in Norway, it's so interesting because I was 
raised and born, born and raised in Austria. And I came to the UK when I was 19. And so I kind of have a taste of the medical system, both in Austria and then in the UK. How do you feel your support is? I just yesterday spoke to a lady who has incredible support with her tamoxifen and Zodalex and everything she's on. How do you feel your support was? The active treatment was was incredible. Um, the radiotherapists that I met, you know, they were all absolutely incredible. The oncologist that I saw right at the beginning, he was so clear, so thorough, so thoughtful. So I was really impressed with his um, how he he saw the whole patient rather than just your diagnosis. Um, he was he was particularly brilliant at that. I really thought that because I've had quite a lot of experience of doctors because of my Crohn's and uh, yeah, my my cancer experience of doctors was was much much better. So that was really good. The menopause. I always I always feel like it's a bit of an afterthought. So I was told that I would, his words will be, be plunged into menopause. So I was told, and I think I got a leaflet explaining some of the symptoms that, that you might come across. But then that's it, really. So I say that's it. I mean, we have this service that um, we can go and drop in Every day from nine till 10, we can drop into the breast unit. So, I mean, that is an incredible service. But I think it's really there for post-operative um, issues. I went when I, I got a bit of lymphedema, so I went then. I never feel it really is to discuss menopause symptoms. Maybe it is, and I haven't used it that way. I'm not sure. Yeah, I've, all, I've always felt like it, it's just the last sentence that's thrown at you before the end of a consultation. It's just, that, oh, yes, and you, you'll go through the menopause. And, and that's it, really. Um, so everything that I've done, the proactive things that I've done, have been inspired by you, really, not my doctors. So I've tried herbal medicines, alternative therapies, exercise. Again, I just can't believe it that that they don't, I, I was told by my oncologist, you know, you should exercise, but that was it. It was literally a sentence. So the podcast that you did about exercise really inspired me so that and helped me. So, and I went back and once I, because I'm not a natural exerciser, I, I wouldn't call myself. <laughs> so when, when I felt things slipping, I, I re-listened to it and it uh, re-motivated me. Um, that's wonderful yeah yeah I, I I feel like it's I feel like your podcasts are a little bit like a toolkit and I can recognize in myself especially since I've gone back to work you know the busy crazy world of work um things get forgotten so quickly and and slip down your priority list so I make myself listen to things to to raise their profile again and I'd like to pick up a little bit on what you say about the open clinic, the nine to 10 o'clock clinic, yeah. because I wonder if you feel like that. Many women will feel like that. They might think this is a post-operative service or you go with your lymphedema. And so perhaps women don't bring up the issues surrounding when they're on long-term endocrine treatment or being plunged into the menopause like you describe it. 
And so perhaps the nurses there who are there to really wanting to help you, that's why they've established a service like that, also don't know that so many of us are struggling with these symptoms because we don't bring them to them. And so perhaps it's a two-way educational approach. And I wonder if more and more people would turn up in their service and say, actually, I've got a really dry vagina. <laughs> and I think this is to do with me being on uh, this endocrine treatment or my hot flushes are insane. I know it's only a hot flush, but they're really debilitating for me or I haven't slept or whatever it is that is bothering you. And if more and more of those conversations were brought into that clinic, they would also discuss that within their team maybe and then think we need to tell our doctors because there are so many doctors still who say, no, no, women don't really struggle on endocrine treatment. And you're like, really? <laughs> and I think it's not, they don't say it because they want to be mean. I think they say it because women don't tell them. Yeah. I, I kind of tried once. So, so I went to, to an oncology appointment and I was, um, it was a different doctor. It wasn't my, wasn't my usual one. So um, I spoke to him about it and I said, I was trying to explore my options, basically. So I, I was saying to him, oh, I wonder if, you know, it's the Zolodex or I wonder if it's the Tamoxifen or, uh, you know, maybe, you know, what about having my ovaries out? Is that an option? Things like that. So I was just trying to have a conversation, open up a conversation. And I'm not sure he really heard me because the next thing I knew, I had a letter saying, uh, I've discussed it with the other oncologist and yes, you can come off the Zolodex and that's not what I meant at all I um, hear you yeah yeah so because why am I on the Zolodex if if all of a sudden I can just come off it so I, I I haven't come off it because I would I would want to consider that much more carefully absolutely yeah and also I, I wonder whether it warrants a follow-up conversation which of course needs to be driven by you and when you listen to the podcast episodes with Dr. Alison Macbeth, who runs a big breast clinic in Glasgow, she often says further down the line, if women want to know, we can maybe go through the predict tool together. And it's a tool that helps to establish to what benefit um, the Solodex, for example, has for you. Mm. And only once we really know the risks and benefits of being on a treatment, can we then decide to maybe come off it, right? Yeah. There's no way you'd have a conversation like this and then come off it, especially when you think, I'm even not quite sure why I should have had maybe chemotherapy that might be lurking in the background and then maybe coming off a treatment is going to be a really big conversation for you. Yeah. And, and it wasn't actually what you were intending to say. And I think sometimes though, it's really difficult to communicate, isn't it? It's difficult to say and hear and for doctors to, to, to maybe assume what we want. And so perhaps the, the outlook needs to be, it's never going to happen in one conversation. It always needs a multiple of, of ongoing conversations. And maybe that's the best we can do. Mm. That's, that's, I find that really challenging because yeah. you get a, an appointment every, I don't know, six months now, I think. I know so it's so challenging. Yeah, you start a conversation, but then you can't you can't really follow it up for six months. Yeah, and I wonder how many people listening at home now feel the same. Mm. And it's almost then we're sitting on with it on our own, so lonely, aren't we? And so mulling everything over in our head, it's really difficult. Anita, I'm assuming all over the world, the idea of going on HRT once you've had a breast cancer is quite controversial. I don't know what it's like um, 
with the doctors where you were treated and there is limited data obviously um yeah there isn't much research and it's just one of those things that gosh it's so hard to get your head round yeah could you openly discuss this with the doctors that treated you or did you move away from that sort of a treatment team and then into a new sort of did you build up a new team when you decided to go on HRT how was that conversation because we talked about communication with Kirsty yeah. and I want to know how the communication went for you within the healthcare professionals yeah that's a good question thank you for asking that and uh, I can start with when I uh, wanted to stop my tamoxifen treatment uh, that was with my team that I had followed me for some years, <laughs> 10 years. Uh, and um, I wanted to stop it. And uh, the message I got was, uh, you can do that, but that will be your own responsibility because we want you to continue. And of course, that's, uh, that's a hard thing to hear. Uh, but I, I choose to stop because I felt it uh, really didn't do me good and of course that also brings in a lot of uh, doubt is it right uh, should I continue uh, and then it was the next three years when I was really struggling it didn't make any difference uh, I seeked up a new uh, medical help a new medical team uh, and uh, discussed with them the HRT nothing with my my cancer diagnosis and when I told that to my, my old team, of course, they they don't approve. Uh, they don't approve me starting on the HRT. And I, and I can respect that because it's like they want me to stay alive. Uh, that's their mission. Uh, they are not experts in menopause. They are not experts in anything. And I don't think I have been clear enough about how my heavy how heavy my symptoms have been. So I really like what you are saying, that it's a, it's a two-way communication, uh, that we really need to be stronger also. But I think in that process, we are so uh, respectful because we know that this is, at least if you have like a diagnosis that you know this is, this, this is serious. <laughs> and, and even if breast cancer is uh, something that you most probably don't die from, uh, at least hopefully, it's serious, you know, that you are fighting for your life and you know it's, uh, you have respect for the team. And I think it took me a lot of years to understand that this is not from the treatment. This is actually something else. Uh, so um, I think communication is really important. And I also uh, want to comment on the thing that you said, like the communities with the cancer and the open clinic and stuff. We don't I don't think we had it in Norway. At least we didn't uh, didn't have it, but we have a lot of other things. But I think also it's for for my situation. I was quite young. I was like forty. I felt more stigmatized when I was in communities talking a lot about the sickness, because for me it was better to be uh, just Anita. I had a job to do to to get rid of the sickness and. I didn't uh, approach those communities too much because it made me feel more like stigmatized. So I think that's also something that we really need to put into our agenda. Like uh, you are welcome and you, you, you need to talk what you are interested in, like from the medical yeah. point of view. I think yeah, that will make a very different platform. And also you are also able to not talk about what you don't want to talk about. It's equally important. It's yeah. equally important to seek a community where you feel you can offload 
um, you know, there are charities looking after people in their 20s and 30s, like Trekstock for Amazing, and they're fabulous because you really feel, oh gosh, there are so many other people like me, but it's equally important to say, actually, a Facebook group is really not for me. I don't want to hear about everyone's problems because some people make other people's <laughs> problems their own and they suddenly yeah. start to worry about what other people are going through, that it might happen to them. And if we're reflective and we know that, it might be better not to go and share in forums and platforms like that. So it's really important, yeah. isn't it, how we how we honour our energy levels almost. Um, yeah, I think so. And also that you can choose to to have your own approach on it. I always try to have like a positive approach. I always think the best. I think I think the mind is so important. And uh, that's why I also need to, yeah, as you said, we need to sort out which, which platform, which community is giving you something positive. Yeah. Hmm. Kasti, out of all the things you said you tried to stack up your toolbox, these will fluctuate, isn't it? Like you say, you started working and then, of course, you might not exercise perhaps the same way as before you returned to work and then you tried herbal medication. Is there anything at the moment that you feel is supporting you in whichever way? I think prioritising exercise has helped me. And when I say exercise, I'm not going to the gym and I'm not doing pump or anything like that. I, I've just, I've fitted in walking to suit my lifestyle so I can I can manage a walk to my work then I've 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 spoken to my boss who's been really supportive to make sure that I leave the building in the middle of the day and go for another walk and then I walk home so that that gives me enough to feel positive and to feel like I'm helping myself I work in a school, so I have to say that in the last week, it's so bonkers at the moment that I haven't managed it last week. But up until then, I'd done it every single day. So that's the, that's the most positive. And I think the herbal medicine, I, I, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you don't know whether it's helping or not, but it makes me feel like I'm doing something. <laughs> and that in itself is 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 worthwhile isn't it your mental state that you're helping yourself you're doing things so so I see a herbalist every so often and she makes me tinctures which are revolting but but they but they make me feel like I'm helping myself so yeah I'd say the herbalist and the exercise those are the, the two major ones but like I said earlier they do fluctuate and I have to remind myself why I'm doing it and and to keep that that energy going, keep that momentum going. And I really liked what you said earlier, that you're not an exercise person. And I can really relate to that because although I do loads of yoga and you know I'm a yoga teacher, um, I can see myself and my husband, for example, and my husband is an exercise person. If he doesn't get up in the morning and he's either skipping at the back of the garden or he's out for a run or he's walking the dog like early in the morning, like he's got a bad day, like he needs to move. <laughs> It's like it makes him feel good. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm on my third cup of tea in bed and I can still only open one eye at nine o'clock in the morning, even if I had a good sleep. So I know what you mean. And it's how do we then find the motivation to move, especially if everything aches, if we're feeling down, if we're feeling maybe depressed or with low mood for a long, long time. And it's so good what you said earlier. You had to go back and get your motivation from you. And that was Professor Dr. Anna Campbell, who was on that podcast with me about exercise. And so you now know 
what motivates you. And for you, in at the moment, it's statistics, right? It really helped you to go, there is a lot I can do on top of my current treatment that I'm on, which is great, isn't it? That 30% will will never leave me. And I tell any anybody who'll listen about the 30% less chance of recurrence. Like, I just find it incredible. Why is that not number one on every doctor's treatment plan? Yeah, surgery, exercise, yes. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, and Anita, do you do you go to yoga? You mentioned yoga and mindfulness a couple of times. How how did that happen for you, or before cancer, or after? Uh, it was a big change, actually. I was really an exercising person before. I was sick with running and jumping and all the cardio crazy stuff. And uh, during treatment, I started yoga and really, really felt the difference. So after that, I also, I'm also a yoga teacher and a yoga therapist. And uh, I started with, uh, uh, yeah, from that time on, yoga has been my thing, both the physical thing, but also like more the therapeutic yoga. So I do yoga for five times a week, going to my, my, sorry, my Ashtanga practice in the morning. And I also do weight training because I know that's really, really important uh, for uh, women in my age and especially during the menopause. I think it's so important both for our physical health, but also for our mental health. And I I felt a really big uh, shift off before and after HRT because before HRT, I just felt so lazy because I really struggled to get out of bed to get myself to yoga it was like a hassle every morning, but now it's more like, oh, yes, I want to do it. And it, uh, I really can understand um, what some doctors are saying. And uh, I heard you say sometime also that when you are, when you really are struggling, you need to get some help to make yourself do your training and to do your exercise. And I really felt the shift in that. But my thing is yoga, be out in nature and uh, weight training. Mm. what's so fascinating you're both sitting here and we're all at such different stages like I'm 10 years on from my triple negative cancer Kirsty is sort of I would say in the early years aren't you really sort of that really finding your feet and being on it on that long-term treatment plan and looking ahead thinking wow I've got a lot of years but also I've done so much already and Anita 13 is it 13 years yeah yeah 13 years on and we become so different. I always, I often think, Danny, you're like a caterpillar. Like I really feel like I'm changing and evolving. And I'm, every few years, I'm like spat out like a new person with new needs, new symptoms, almost new mindsets, new things I've learned. And it's important to embrace that, isn't it? Because there's, there's such a big change in, in what we're going through, in what we want to communicate. And often I think just because I was so stuck in what I used to do that almost didn't allow me to have new ideas. You know, there are so many people at home who think I'd never have herbal medication. I think it doesn't work and all of that. But in 10 years time, you're a different person. Mm. This might be a good, good conversation to have then. And, and I'd love to sit here in 10 years time with both of you and go, wow, <laughs> how has it been? You know, like it's <laughs> yeah. the most fascinating and wonderful thing. Anita, you say you work with other people in Norway about the menopause is this in in the yoga form or how do you do that i uh, basically work with uh, menopause at the workplace or women's health at the work in the workplace 
so helping uh, build knowledge and awareness out in, in, in companies. But I also use my yoga to have some uh, workshops and events. And I work together with a doctor that has specialized in menopause. So we do things together. Uh, and we also want to do in the fall, we have planned for some more like awareness event for women to raise the awareness around the menopause. And we also want to, to do it to more like the minority groups, because I think it's really, really needed. So, but my main thing is towards the workplace because that's that's my speciality in a way because I've been in that for so many years and I feel that's that's a really good combination and in a way everything fall into places with everything I've done that I can yeah. use myself, my own experience and and knowledge. So that feels like really an honor. Yeah. That's amazing. I'd love to share if you have details, we can share them in the show notes for anyone in Norway uh, listening. That would be amazing. They can reach out to you. I think it is this multifaceted approach of of talking about it, isn't it? Our experiences, because whether you tap into the workplace, which is fantastic, whether you tap into a podcast community, whether Kirsty, when you reached out to me, I think it was an Instagram and you said, how can I help, you know, spread awareness? Up until that point, I I didn't actually even consider that other people might want to help me <laughs> sort of just talk yeah. about it. And it's amazing how when we do different things and we just open the conversation over and over again, I do think in 10 years time, I I really think that in cancer centers, especially the menopause conversation will take up a little bit more of the conversation in whichever way or form. It might not be when you go through, you know, active treatment or when you're in the first early years, because we've got almost bigger fish to fry don't we like other things are more important healing from surgery and starting new medication but as time goes on I really believe that by better help of how to manage our menopausal symptoms we we will always stay on long-term endocrine treatment for example better and longer because you came off it Anita with a conversation but I know from so many women who just they say, oh, I take it one day on, one day off. If I've got a big appointment, I don't take my tamoxifen. Like that is yeah. total self-prescribing and in probably no one's interest. But without judging, you can really understand why women might act like that. We've only got this one life to live and this day to get out of bed, right? And if you know you're not going to manage, you've got to help yourself somehow. Absolutely. I found um, the book from Avram Blooming, The Estrogen mm. Matters. It's so inspiring because when it's a really black day and I'm really <laughs> struggling and daunting myself, it's like, okay, just go in, read the facts, read, read the, how he's been working with it because it's really helpful. But I also will say that after I started my HRT, I, for the first time, actually considered going back to tamoxifen because I think maybe that's a good combination. So I think what you are saying that you use the time, uh, use how you will develop and the knowledge that you will give, uh, you will have every day, that it will help you. It will help you to take new choices and, and see, uh, see the situation with new eyes. So I think that's a really good advice that you are giving there. Just let your time go. And I think that's also so important that me, as I'm uh, along way down the road just to be respectful that this is a process and I know it myself it's it's a it's a long process and it's uh, a lot of different information coming all the way and I love your honesty about 
that you haven't just embarked on this and it's all rosy and you think this is amazing and everyone and it's and that you have all these mixed emotions because it's so normal isn't it we have so many mixed emotions like just the other day at a workshop there were women and said oh all my friends seem to go on HRT uh, they haven't had cancer and they feel amazing and I can't have it and I'm not on it and Oh, it's so it's so frustrating. And at the same time, they're so grateful to be alive, to having survived cancer. And it's all these mixed emotions. Yeah. We're almost feeling a bit guilty sometimes about having all these mixed emotions, isn't it? And the fact that they can all coexist. It's like, gosh, I carry these big bags of emotions around with me some days. Now in the evening, I'm like knackered. Can someone take an emotion off me? Um Kirsty, how do you see your next six months unfold? Do you feel you need a plan? Do yeah. you feel you're on a plan? Or do you think, how? I think I'm looking for time in my life. It's so busy, isn't it? And and when I was going through active treatment, I took time off work and it was it was the best decision I made just to slow down and then consider me and consider what my options were and 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 that that I'm finding really challenging really challenging being back at work and I'm a single mum as well so you know I've got a lot going on so I want to find time to consider my next steps and my next six months and what that's going to look like because at the moment it's just racing racing away from me Um, and I appreciated that time to stop and think about me um, I mean, I've got the summer holidays coming up, so I will get, have a little bit of time to stop and and reset almost. Mm. Um, and yeah, consider whether I'm going to, I don't know, stop something to see, maybe stop the herbal medicines to see if I think they are having impact. I don't, I don't, I don't quite know at the moment. I, I really resonate with all what you're saying about these mixed emotions all the time. I feel like I carry a lot of guilt about not being more positive about being alive. And uh, I feel um, imposter syndrome sometimes. I feel like a bit of a fraudster because I didn't have chemotherapy, which is a weird emotion to have. So I want to sort my head out a little bit as well. And that's where the the nature and and, and walking, that helps me to just be outside and in nature and just release myself of some of those feelings sometimes. Um, And I'm glad you bring them up because it's not the first time I've heard it. Uh, People say I haven't had chemotherapy. I feel like a fraud Uh, or or so, so many different things. People had the other day, I met a lady, she had a a recurrence in her breast. She said, I I haven't had secondary breast cancer, but now I don't belong. So it's, it's that as well as, is. What sort of bucket do you put? Do you place yourself in? And has someone else been worse off and someone else been better off? But you know, many people have never had a cancer diagnosis. So dare I say, in the context of today, mm. we've all been dealt a shitty card. So fair enough. Um, <laughs> and all these mixed emotions. If anyone else is listening and they can find Kirsty sometime, you can email me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. But also, I think for exactly that reason, years ago I set up the Empowered Menopause Program. And it is a four month process where we just meet over four months on Zoom and we mull over these things and we just make the time to 
try and think, what, what can I do? And at the moment, there is a cost to the programme, which really upsets me still. But we are fundraising and we've just secured a fund, which is amazing this week with my lovely fundraiser, Esther. But the fund goes not to the programme, the fund goes to running uh, workshops, online workshops. And I can't wait to run them in the autumn and in the next spring and we can bring experts in and we can talk about loads of things just to share more support but I do think there is something about that dedicated project time and it's almost like a project time isn't it mm -hmm. um, I haven't got the answer for you because I personally know I need to get off my phone a little bit more and I know that would buy me some time mm -hmm. and I'm really struggling with that at the moment but you know it's another phase isn't it yeah yeah and and Anita, what about you? For the if you look at from now to the winter, are you enjoying feeling better? Your new treatment is working, and are you thinking I'm just gonna yeah. put my efforts into the menopause world a little bit, or how? Oh yeah, I think for my own sake is to just enjoy that I feel back to myself and feel so much better, but also struggling with the feeling of guilt that I didn't do it before uh, in a way because you feel like you lost so many years and for my work I'm really excited I, I really really want to, to, to increase the knowledge I want to make, uh, make it better for women I want to really get rid of the stigma in, in Norway we have a situation that it was in like the UK for in 2016, I think, we didn't have Davina McCall, we didn't have you, we didn't have Louis Newsom. Uh, we have 2% of, uh, of uh, women in menopause uh, age on HRT. So it's really, really low. So I think it's so important. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, That's so, lovely. Yeah, so I think in six months I will be busy and, and happy. <laughs> Hopefully. I just met, um, <laughs> uh, there's a celebrity called Lisa Snowden and I just met her the other day and I was gifted her book and it's just, just getting started. That's the oh, yeah. title of the book. And I love that. I think, I know it's something, we think it's something positive just getting started and I can relate that for you, yeah. but for everyone listening who might feel like Kirsty, because I think the majority of people feel like you, Kirsty, we feel we really haven't got it sorted, you know, it's a long, mm. and I wonder whether, you know, even listening to you, Anita, although you've made a choice now, we still don't feel like we've got it sorted because our head is still going in yeah. all sorts of different directions, but that's that just, okay. that sentence, just getting started, that could be anything, isn't it? Just getting started for you, Kirsty, is going back on regular walks as soon as school breaks up. Yeah. And that can be a great first step, isn't it? That's the only thing, just getting back on my daily lunchtime walks, getting out there. And sometimes that will lead to something else. Mm. And and I know we're all going to walk through the seasons together. So one of our other new volunteers is going to help us put a sponsored walk together. And I'd love all of our menopausal cancer ladies walk across the summer and the autumn into the winter, wherever we are. And on the second and third, I think, of December, everyone is going to go out on a walk, walk a half marathon, walk a marathon, wherever you are. I want to see pictures from Norway. <laughs> yeah, please let uh, me help if it's anything. Yeah, I can do. <clears throat> that's lovely. And I just feel that walking is cathartic. And if we can walk together as women who have gone through similar experiences, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. I have a feeling this is my best podcast episode ever to date. Oh. <laughs> I could have not chosen, um, interviewed, recruited better guests than both of you today. You've been so articulate and I'm feeling very humbled to have sat opposite you this morning. 
Oh, thank you, Danny. I'm not sure I'd agree with my articulateness. <laughs> I would. Um, I would. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so honoured, and thank you for uh, being patient with my stumbling English. <laughs> oh, you are yeah. amazing. Your English is amazing, <laughs> and that you joined us not from your home, but from being away. And <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I. Ex- yeah, I didn't even know what to expect. You know, when I had my doubt, I thought no one is going to join. <laughs> and, and then to have these amazing women join me and you from Norway, it just shows how amazing our community is. And so my love goes to both of you and everyone listening to Gay. Thank you. Oh, my God, that was so exciting. Who would have known that we have people from all over Europe listening to the podcast and finding it helpful? How are you feeling? I often wonder after you listen to our episodes. Do you feel you've gained something from the experiences from others? And does that bring you a little bit closer in trying to think what you can do next? Or do you sometimes feel I've had all this information now and I still don't know what to do? And if you're in the latter category and you still don't know what to do, then do consider joining the Empowered Menopause Programme. I know there is a cost to it, but I really truly believe that for the right person, this program can be transformational. We've had such amazing feedback from all the women that have joined us so far. And it is a small program, it is over four months. And if you want to sign up in the next week or so, then you do get a free space for our event on the 25th of September, which is just a little bonus because I really do want to meet you. Many of the women in our community say that the experience for them of managing menopause after cancer can be harder than chemotherapy, radiotherapy and surgery all together. And I really, really want to help change that. And we do so in lots of different ways, you know, from workshops to collaborating with other charities and running webinars and having a new website with resources now. But sort of the the really in-depth program where I can really help people mull through their options, really figure out what they want to do next is the Empowerment of Course program. And it is just one of the highlights of my year when I get to meet all of you amazing, amazing women. Anyway, that is me for today. I'm going to leave you with a poem because I feel when I listen to Kirsty and also all of your stories, I always feel our mind wants answers now. Our mind wants to know exactly what's going to happen. But my learning has been from my personal experience and that from all of you with what you have shared with me is that we'll hardly ever have the answers we so desperately want to know because we're always in transit. And I have a poem for you and I hope I hope it's a little bit helpful. I love it. I read it in my yoga classes and I read it to myself and I have done so for years. It's by Jeff Foster. Often we focus so much on the goal or destination that we forget the journey. We disconnect from each precious step and stress is created. The stress that we are not there yet. Yet joy can only be found in the here and now and has nothing to do with goals, destinations or getting what you want. Take the focus off the 10,000 steps to come. The 10,000 steps you have not yet trodden. The 10,000 things that are missing right now. And remember, the present step, this ancient living ground, your own intimate presence. Breathe. Feel the life in your body. Often we don't know where we're headed, and that's perfectly okay. Befriend any uncertainty. 
doubt, and learn to love this sacred place of no answers. It is alive and creative and full of potential. And why I love this poem so much is, I feel like this is how we feel when we join as a group, whether it's a workshop or whether it's the program. And we have no idea where we're headed. Sometimes people come into my programs with me and they have a very clear aim and and they want an answer to a question. Say they want to make a decision within the treatment options they have. And then after a few weeks or a few months, everything changes. And the question they came with initially is no longer valid. And so all I can maybe give myself to reassure myself and to reassure you is to stop often, to take a big breath, to feel the life in our body right now, because we hardly ever know where we're headed. And although we don't need to try and befriend this uncertainty, because that's the hardest part, it was the hardest part for me of navigating my post-cancer diagnosis life, I always feel alive. And there is a sense of creativity and there's a sense of potential in this present moment. And sometimes just by remembering this ancient present moment living ground, it can really help me anchor myself into the here and now. Wishing you a lovely week and I'll talk to you next week.